You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Praise the Lord for the powerful worship to inspire our hearts, to lift us up, and to see God as working. He is ruling. He is reigning. He's over it all. Right now, let's go to the Lord in Scripture. Honey, why don't you read a passage for us? Yes, Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of the marvelous things you have done. And then verse 2 is what really spoke to me because all the negativity in our culture, you turn on the TV, you listen to the news, you're just getting bombarded with all this negativity. But verse 2 says, I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. And this verse reminded me, we have the joy because of God, because of Jesus, not because of whatever's happening around us. We have the joy. And guess what? We have to make that decision on our own. The verse says, I will be filled with joy because of you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. Real quick, if this is the first time at Southridge, we want to welcome you here. Hopefully you grabbed a copy of our connection card on your way in. We'd love for you at any point to fill that out. You could drop it in a basket on your way out. Uh, Also, this is a family-friendly service, so please, it's okay if children are running around a little bit noisy. We love it. This is for a season, and I love having my children around. I hope you do too. This is a blessing. It's okay for kids to sit in what we call big church and have to open up a Bible and sit there. Uh, Any of you that grew up in church, we went through it, you know, and uh, so this is a blessing. I love getting to see my children lift their hands in worship, and uh, last week I just looked out and I saw God moving in not just your heart and in your life, but I saw him moving in your children as they were lifting their hands in worship, and that's what this generation needs. That's what this world needs to see, because right now... What we are seeing is a generation that instead of taking to the streets with the gospel, instead they're taking to the streets to burn down buildings, they're taking to the streets to tear down statues, they're taking to the streets to raise anarchy, and instead what we need is some people with the word of God taken to the streets. That's what we need. That's what we need. So I'm so glad that you are here. Welcome to Southridge. And uh, let me just give a few quick announcements. Next week, we will be launching a second service. We want to always keep our crowd size small. Now, you say, well, I prefer to be in my car. We'll try to have an FM transmitter. So if you want to pull up, because we are doing our, uh, we have some food ministry out there. Please help yourself to anything you see out there. We don't want to bring it back to the church office. So please help yourself. Take as much as you can fit in your freezer. We would be glad if you would take it especially those nasty Hershey candy corn candy bars. Those are of the devil, all right? Let's just uh, renounce those, but uh, please try it out. It's one of those you just have to try, right? Just got to try it. So grab one of those. Take as many as you want. Uh, Also, next week we'll have a 9 a.m. service and then a 1045 
5 a.m. You say, yes, 15 more minutes to sleep in. Exactly. Actually, what that is for is so that we can properly clean this room before the second service comes in. So we want to give them a lot of time uh, to be able to properly clean the building in between services because we want to keep our crowd size uh, smaller, social distancing. Also, if you are finding that you are not feeling all that great, you say, well, I don't have COVID or you're not feeling that great, we invite you to just stay home just for uh, the optics and everything. And when we come together, uh, we understand that God can heal the sick. We understand that. But uh, I'm not God and neither are you. So we would love for you to just enjoy the online message. And I've changed it. So what's happening now is whatever I preach on Sunday mornings is now what you'll see online. Now, some of you are like, oh, Nelly, uh, that could be dangerous for online. It very well could be. Our online audience may get not too happy with everything, but that's okay. Uh, We're going to speak on God's word and his truth, and that's where we're going to kind of land as a church. Also, if you would be interested. We have our phased approach with how we're reopening and how we're staging it. Uh, We do have a side room for parents. If you want to take your kids, they can run around in there and you can still listen to the message. We're looking at the uh, end of July to start offering nursery care, not child care, nursery care, the zero to three. So if you're ever interested, like, hey, what is Southridge's planned safe approach for opening up? There is a copy, a hard copy on that table as well as it's online. And then also, Uh, Every week, just so you know where your pastor and leadership is coming from as far as everything that's going on in our country. It's not just COVID. It's not just uh, the protests. It's not just an election year. It's not just economic things. We also are dealing with a lot of Supreme Court changes. We're dealing with a lot of legal changes. And so what's happening now, uh, part of my week is spent with Christian lawyers every week. I get on Zoom calls because so much is changing so fast. The church needs to be aware of it. Now, some uh, may not be aware, but there is a mask mandate. That is an individual mask. Because some have asked, well, is the Southridge going to enforce it? It's an individual mandate. So you are supposed to govern yourself, all right? America believes in self-government. So uh, it's, it's different than a law. A mandate and a law is different, okay? You say, what do you mean? How is it different? Well, one, a law has stronger legal backing, while a mandate it has strength behind it, but it's to each individual. So we're not going to police you. We practice social distancing. We are sanitize, offering sanitizer. We have masks everywhere. So if you feel like you're going to wear it, then good, good for you. Um, we're also, we've added air purifiers. So it's air purifying the air constantly before and after. You'll also see a couple other things. In a few weeks, we're going to start having a sticker that you wear. And that sticker will be a different color. And that sticker says, yes, I'm up for hugs. No, I'm only up for elbows. No, just wave at me, okay? So we're going to go as safe as we can. Then you know. You see the sticker, you're like, that person's a hugger. Come here, give me a hug. My wife won't even hug me, so I need to hug somebody, right? And uh, that's, that's not true. She gives me hugs, and uh, I have to force her. But uh, we want to make it just easy for everybody in the church. So you'll see those. You grab a sticker. That way everybody knows. Because we're trying to do our best, but understand, uh, there's this notion that sublimity preached that COVID is, every, is, is only in the church and it's not everywhere else. Uh, I was this week trying to preach at, uh, for our online messages at Santana Row, and we got kicked out. Well, if you've been to Santana Row, they have shut down parts of Santana Row for outdoor dining. When you're eating outdoors, there's no masks. And then because businesses are really trying to pump up business, guess what's happening? They're putting up a lot of chairs and a lot of tables. So there's people all over. 
There's no six foot social distance. There's no mask. So if you're feeling, and I'm not, this isn't to like, oh, smack you down or anything. And as uh, one of our worship leaders, Anthony, like said, this is not to go, it's not that. I'm not trying to do that for you. What it really is about is the fact that, all right, if you're willing to go shopping now, and if you're willing to sit at a restaurant less than six feet, and our church, we're, we're just, I think sometimes we can be over judgmental. The church has to be perfect. No, we're going to do the best we can. And right now we're meeting the CDC guidelines, we're meeting our insurance guidelines, and we're meeting the legal guidelines. So I just want you to know that, that every week, because you're seeing things change, I don't want you to think, and sometimes people misassume that churches are out of the know, they're uninformed, they don't know what's going on. More than ever right now, we are watching what's going on. There's so much that is happening, and a lot of it is great pause for concern, and we'll get into God's Word, all right? So those are the announcements. If you have a copy of God's Word, a Bible, hold it up. Let me see it. Wave a Bible at me. Yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, wave a Bible. If you've got a phone, there we go. Amen. Take it to Philippians chapter number two. Philippians chapter number two. You say, why are you pushing Bibles all of a sudden? Uh, the reason being is because when you have your phone, uh, I get these little notifications. They're called text messages. You might get them too. And it's amazing how we start to get them during a message. Or all of a sudden, your candy crush will remind you, hey, guess what? You've got a recharge. You could play some more. And uh, those things will just pop up, and it'll distract you from the message. So let's, let's get a copy of God's Word and go to Philippians chapter number 2. And uh, as you're turning there, let me give by just introduction a little info about me. I know many of you have been attending Southridge for years, so some of you have a a pretty good sense of my background, but for those that are new or maybe haven't heard it, uh, I am a pastor's kid. My dad started ministry in Santa Clara before I was born. Came out from Milwaukee and he came out to California to be involved in full-time ministry. That's where my dad started. Then he pastored his first church in Morgan Hill, and then we moved out to Hollister, and then he planted a church in Fresno, uh, that church is still going. He planted another church just outside of L.A. in a place called Simi Valley. And so my family is a pastor's kid family, all right? I have six other siblings. I have four other brothers, and I have two sisters. All seven kids went to Bible college and got our degrees from a Bible college. All right, I have another brother who's a full-time pastor. All my siblings have trained for the ministry. Many are involved in full-time ministry, even though they may work a secular job. Uh, my brother has a ministry, a business he started that serves churches. And so when I'm preaching today and I sound maybe upset or maybe, maybe a little bit angry, I want you to know something. My heart has always been that I love the church dearly. I was brought up in the church. And nowadays, it's, it's more common that pastor's kids not want nothing to do with the church than for pastor's kids to want to follow the Lord, all right? And so uh, that being said, I want you to understand something, that I love the church dearly. Uh, I fought against being a pastor for a long time, and... Uh, But I just surrendered to that call knowing that that's what God called me. And I love Christians. I dearly love Christians. And I love people. And I want every person to become a Christian. But this message that I'm about to preach is probably going to upset many of you. It's probably going to make you mad. And you may want to look for that bus that we talked about last week. You might go searching for it after this one. If last week didn't do it, this week probably will do it. This week probably will do it. And it's not necessarily my intention to um, offend, though that might happen. My intention is for us to get back to God's word and to rightly divide truth, okay? Because what we're seeing today is anarchy in our country. 
anarchy, okay? You are seeing domestic terrorism. You can't justify the fact of what is happening on our news. Ripping down statues, burning buildings, Sean King tweeting that Jesus was a white supremacist. If you don't know who Sean King is, he's the founder and leader of the BLM movement. So this is, this is their leadership. Now we understand, yes, black lives matter, and yes, all lives matter. We, we believe that. But the movement, the BLM movement, you need to know, uh, a movement takes on the characteristics of its leaders. So its leaders are calling for the removal of Jesus that looks anything to be white. It's, it's just so funny because Jesus was not white. He was Israeli. Okay, all right, that is totally different, but yet there's this uh, ideology that's coming out, and so you see anarchy in our country. That's what you're seeing, anarchy, and then you're seeing uh, what we are seeing today in the church, and that is apostasy. You say, what is apostasy? It's a big word, so let me break it down. Apostasy is where you leave a foundational belief. You, you're leaving it, okay? So you're seeing people like Andy Stanley who say, hey, the, New Test- the Old Testament does not apply. The Ten Commandments, we don't need that today. Okay, that is apostasy because Jesus validated the law and the prophets. And he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. I said this last week. All scripture in the Greek means all scripture, okay? Just so you know. All scripture means all scripture. So Andy Stanley, I'm sorry, you can't go against what Jesus said. No, 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 that is profitable. Even if there's parts about the Old Testament you don't like. You're also seeing like other leaders who are writing books and saying things at, based on this passage. You're seeing guys like Todd White, Kenneth Copeland, Bill Johnson say things like Jesus is just a man. And he just happened to be more surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And that's why he could die on the cross. That's what we call apostasy. That's heresy. Jesus was not just a man. The Mount of Transfiguration reveals that Jesus was more than a man. Okay, and that's where the robe was taken back. They saw, the disciples saw his glory. So you're seeing anarchy in our country, apostasy in the church, churches by and large just leaving the faith. Okay, churches that have bought into this, we're going to be social justice. And I'm all about social justice. If you've been a part of our church for any length of time, you know we're about social justice. But what comes before social justice is the preaching of the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news of salvation. That trumps everything. And what are you seeing by and large the church in America preaching on? Social justice. Social justice matters. It does matter. But nothing comes before the gospel of Jesus. Because that's what can convert the sinner. When the sinner is converted, guess what happens? His behavior will change. That, those things will be done away with, okay? So the great hymn writer of amazing grace, he was a slave trader. God got a hold of his heart, and he left that lifestyle. That's what happens when the gospel comes into our lives. So we need to understand how important, how important what is happening and how we stand at the precipice of a real change in America because the church used to be that bulwark. It used to be that thing that held back all this stuff that we're seeing. It used to be the church stood for what is right, but now you're seeing churches say, oh yeah, in California, you can have 100 people in church. The governor said you can have 100, but churches are like, oh no, 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 we're not going to give in to fear, we're going to act in wisdom. I call that wimpy. You're wimp. You can have 100 people in church, and I believe that all these churches, there's 100 people like we have here that'd be glad to go to church. And if you feel, don't, you don't feel comfortable going to church, then you don't have to go. But I wouldn't want to be a part of a place that says, hey, in this hour of need where we need to correct the wrong thinking we're seeing, where we're seeing so much the Supreme Court has passed down now is even by churches 
Okay? The things that are happening now, uh, the Supreme Court ruled a week and a half ago. You say, how does that affect the church? Here's how it affects the church. If the church now were to hire somebody, anybody from the LGBTQ community could come in, apply for the job, and a church could not say, no, we're not going to hire you based on our scriptural beliefs. That now, the church is no longer protected. That is discrimination. That would be considered a hate crime. You would be sued, and the church would lose. That's what the lawyers told me on Thursday. Now, you're a Christian school, a Christian school. You're going to hire a teacher. There's a teacher, transgender. They come in. They want to teach your uh, little girls. All of a sudden, they can come in. And if you say no, that is going to be discrimination. The school will be sued. The school will lose. If you're a Bible college, training men and women for the ministry, preaching the whole counsel of God, and you want to have a professor that says, hey, you know what? I do believe that there's 74 different genders, not two. Do you know that's coming to the public schools? That's what they're teaching this fall, that there's 74 different genders. There's two. Biology says there's two. That's what's coming to the public schools this fall. And so we're just stepping back, and the lawyers are saying, you don't understand. The church is all about social justice, and, and get it. Don't, don't get me wrong. That's, that's, that's good. It's important. But understand, we're missing, wait a minute, what does God's word say? So are you uncomfortable yet? You mad at me yet? You, want, you looking for that other bus? All right. If not, it's all good. Because what did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What is doctrine? It's right teaching. But according to their own lust, because they have itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers. Those type of teachers that will tell them exactly what they want to hear. And I told you, the reason our country is in a state as it is, is because of preachers like me who have failed to teach you God's word. I'm owning up to the problem. I was a part of the problem. I'm repenting of the fact that I understand what preaching was, where we give you tips and tricks on, hey, how to have a good marriage, how to be a good parent, hey, how to get along with others, how to love your neighbor. But instead of diving into God's word and just saying, hey, here's what God's word says, here's what we need to do, we had missed it. We didn't teach you doctrine. We, didn't, we, we taught you, hey, why you should be a Christian, but not what you should believe about being a Christian. I mean, when it comes to the, to the Bible, do you understand why we hold the, the nuclear family as so important? Because today, that would seem like something that even some churches would kind of be like, mm, nuclear family, not so much. When even you have other people who are now saying, man, we need to get back to the nuclear family. This is, the, this is what's so important. And so we need to come back to God's word, and we need to come back to what is he saying and today if, today, if you have a copy of God's word, I want to go to Philippians chapter number two, verse number one. Here's what the word of God says. It says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, that e let each esteem others better than himself. This is the golden rule. Treat others how you want to be treated, right? Verse 4, let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Therefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That's what we sang about. 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those in earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Powerful scripture. Powerful scripture. Today, we are hearing everybody should be taking a knee. I understand it. I understand it. But what we ultimately should be taking a knee to first is to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's first. Here's the truth. Today, we have people that will take a knee for anything and everything but Jesus. He is the one that we should be lifting up. He is the one that is not just worthy, but he is the one that is Lord. Jesus Christ, Jesus, Yeshua, Christ means anointed. Lord means supreme authority. Jesus is the anointed supreme authority. This morning, we're going to talk about the lordship of Jesus, meaning he is over everything. But What often happens, and I talk to people and said, what do you know of the lordship of Jesus? And they look at me as if I'm talking about transubstantiation, as if I'm talking about some uh, out there term, as if I'm talking about the hypostatic union. Say the hypo what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I paid all those big bucks in Bible college to learn, little words, that you think I'm smart. I'm really not really because I was homeschooled and not good homeschooled like Brian and his family. I was bad homeschooled like my mom had seven kids, didn't know what to do, and she just locked herself in the room kind of homeschooled. And so we just watched TV, all right? That's my kind of homeschooled. Now, so when it comes to this word of the lordship of Christ, what's happened in our country is we don't understand the lordship of Christ. As a matter of fact, what became popular in the 60s and 70s is question authority. And we don't understand that Jesus is our authority. No, no, no. We don't like to hear that, though. We want to hear that Jesus loves me. Oh, Jesus thinks I'm the best. I'm I'm Jesus' BFF. I'm his favorite. He loves me. And let's just talk about that, how he loves me. Like heaven meets earth with a sloppy wet kiss with a John McMillan song. Come on, let's talk about that kind of love that Jesus has for me, that Jesus loves that I sleep around, that Jesus loves that I'm, a, I'm not repentant of sin, that Jesus loves that I have jealousy, that I have lust, that I have pride, that I think I'm better than everybody else, that I struggle and that I have all these things and I'm not going to actually repent of it because Jesus loves me. And if he loves me, he totally accepts everything about me that's not true because that's not the lordship of jesus you see the bible says that the name of jesus every knee will bow here's the thing a muslim will bow the uh uh uh, will bow the catholic who doesn't understand true repentance and salvation will bow the person that's studying buddhism will bow the atheist will bow they say there is no god but the fool has said in his heart there is no god no they will bow the agnostic will bow the deist will bow everyone will eventually bow here's the question it's not will you bow It's when will you bow? Because there'll come a day and age where it's too late to bow. You say, no, 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 it's never too late. Yeah, there will come a day. One day up in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ. You say, judgment seat? 
Yeah, we'll get to that. Don't I know, I know, I've messed it all up. We got to get to these things. Not that I love hellfire and brimstone preaching, but I'm saying is what I, I, I'm, I'm more afraid of what I'm seeing now is because of years and years of, of pastors giving you the menu and never the meal, of giving you the milk but never giving you the meat. And it's time to just say, let's just go deep in God's word. We cleared out some time. Y'all got dressed and looked nice and smelled pretty. And let's just get into God's word. Let's have a notebook, a pen, and an old-fashioned copy of the Bible. And I know Barnes and Nobles isn't open. I know uh, 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 Borders Bookstore closed down. So go on Amazon or go to the church office and say, I need an old-fashioned Bible. I started pulling mine out from college, and I found love notes from my girlfriend, Jane, at the time. I thought it was pretty cool to go through that old Bible. I like that Bible. That was a good Bible. And uh, she just got distracted during chapel. She couldn't keep her eyes off of me. She'd write little notes, and I'd be like, woman, repent. You know? And uh, so understand, the Word of God is so important. We need to have it in our life. So Jesus Christ is Lord. If you're taking notes, would you write that down? Jesus Christ is Lord. The Greek word is kurios, meaning supreme authority. Now, you don't have to make him Lord. He already was. He already was. You don't have to do anything. You say, oh, do I have to make him Lord of my life? Well, he already is. It's you recognizing you already were under that authority. Meaning. That if you are the president of the United States, you're under an authority. That if you're an owner of a business, you're under authority. You're a congressman, you're under authority. You're a senator, you're under authority. You're a parent, you're under authority. Not one person here is outside of the supreme anointed authority of God. Not one person. You say, well, I want to act like a rebel. Then you do so to your own peril. You do so at your own risk. You see, we are under the lordship of Jesus. He's called Lord more than 741 times in the New Testament. We love to call him Jesus. We love to call him my friend. We love to call him Abba. I get that. That's all good and gravy. But understand that he right now, people are like, well, I can't wait to see the face of Jesus. Put my hand in in my hands and touch the nail prints. Revelation gives us a picture of what Jesus looks like, and he doesn't look like what we see in the Gospels. He is robed in glory, majesty, and power, radiating power. It's at that name we will fall down. We will take the crowns and cast them at his feet. There will be no pride. There will be no arrogance that look at me and my good works. No, no, there will be none of that. There will be reverence because we will see him as he truly is. This is no precious moments, Jesus. This is no meek and mild Jesus. This is a Jesus of power. This is a Jesus of judgment. This is a Jesus who is the ruler. This is the Jesus that will say to Satan, the enemy, depart into utter darkness for Forever and lock him away forever. He will have power. It's his name. It's Jesus' power. But yet we have people. We don't live under the lordship of Jesus, under his authority. We have Christians who came to Jesus and they heard the message, come as you are. I've said it. I've said it. I apologize. I've said it. Come as you are. But then our preaching kind of lets you stay as you are. Because we don't preach on sin. We don't preach on truth. We look at God's word and we say, oh, I don't know if I want to preach that. I don't know if I really want to preach that, hey, don't even look on a woman to lust after her unless you commit adultery in your heart. That's a little bit extreme. Uh, Let's not touch that. Oh, let's not go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and talk about some hard truth. Let's not go to where Luke chapter number 9, where it says, take up your cross and follow me. And if you won't take up your cross, then you're not worthy of him. And he says, I'm ashamed of anyone who won't take up their cross. Oh, let's, let's not talk about that. No, no, come on. Let's, Pastor, 
give me three ways to tell me how to be happy, holy, and healthy. I just want to share out of God's word this morning. Let's take our Bibles. And we just kind of want that, don't we? We just want something that just kind of makes us feel good and never feel conviction over our brokenness and over our sin. And as I look at our country and as you look at our country, as we are lifting up what is wrong, what is counter to God and his word, and yet you see the Christians who are silent, you see, you see the pastors saying, no, I don't think you really need church right now. Just watch it online. That's good enough. As suicide rate is up to 891%, and we got pastors, even though they could have a church building, even though they could put at least 100, and they could preach hour after hour after hour and just recycle another 100 and another 100 and another 100 who's hungry for the word of God, and instead they're saying, no, 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 you're fine watching it at home, isolated, by yourself, that's totally fine, oh, you're totally healthy, that's, that's better for you. No, 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 plagues have been throughout all of history, all of history we've dealt with plagues. And it never stopped the church until all of a sudden the church was like, whoa, we got to shut down. We got to shut down. Understand, first and foremost, if he doesn't come first, he doesn't come at all. If he doesn't come first, he doesn't come at all. Jesus is not playing games anymore. Where, when did we as Christians think that we could just play games? No, no, no. Jesus is saying, it, it's, I'm first. You say, Pastor, give me a scripture on that. I'm glad you asked for one, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And guess what? He says, if you do that, all these things shall be added unto you. Wow, that's the goodness of your God. That God says, yes, I am first. And get this, one big decision takes care of a lot of little decisions. The moment I said yes to my wife, Jane, it made it easy. I didn't have to wonder, who am I gonna, who am I gonna be with this weekend? Uh, oh, my friends are all going out. I don't want to be by myself, so i got to go find a girl who will go with me on this date. You know, I, I don't want to be the odd man out. No, no, I made one big decision. That took care of a lot of little decisions. It took care of I don't need a dating app. It took care of the fact that I don't need to be running around on the weekends looking for some person. I don't need to be running out to, to bars and clubs. I don't need to be doing that because I made one big decision. Now, when you made one big decision to follow Jesus, many of you heard you get Jesus, and you don't have to change. That's Catholicism. Catholicism offers that deal. We, we don't offer that deal. When you chose Jesus, you chose him as Lord and Savior and supreme authority for your life, meaning you submit to his lordship. You submit to his authority. You say, well, I don't understand his rules. Well, guess what? He loved us so much, he wrote a book down. And he gave us a book that says, you want to know how to live your life? This is the book. Just stay in the book. This morning, how powerful is this? I got up and I was doing my devotions and I went to Proverbs chapter number 28 because I try to read a proverb a day. And look how good God is when I went to Romans or Proverbs chapter number 28. Verse number one says, Therefore the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I love that, that we need more righteous people that are bold. I went to verse two. For the transgressions of a land, many are the princes thereof. But by man of understanding... And knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. You say, what's holding back God's judgment? A remnant. We've never needed to be big. Do you understand that, church? I think we've bought it. I'm not against the mega church movement. I'm not against it. But I think we've bought into the fact that we can't have influence unless we run 3,000. But can I tell you what 120 people did in an upper room in Acts chapter number 2? That they were just a small group that God can save with not by many, but by few. 
that, that, that God is saying, I'm not limited. I just need some people who understand my supreme authority and recognize I'm their authority in their life. It's not any uh, cultural norm. Today, we've, uh, we've allowed every cultural norm that that's what's going to be my authority because I, I, I don't want to ever speak up or say something that won't make my friends happy. I got to keep everybody happy and I got to make sure everybody understands that, 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 that yeah, I may vote one way, or, or, but I really live a different way. Or my parents, they see this Instagram account, but I really have this Instagram account. Or my family and, and parents, you know your kids have more than one social media account. You know that, right? Like, like just pro tip, okay? All right? Your kids have multiple accounts. You find one, it's like a cockroach. There's three or four more. They just spring up, okay? They spring up under false names, nicknames, uh, all kinds of birthdays. You, you can figure this thing out. And you say, I want to know? Go ask their friends. They know all their accounts because they're quick to tell them, hey, here's my new account. My dad just found this one. And so parents, stay on top of that. There you go. See, you did get a good sermon on how to have a happy family. There you go. Wow, that was free. There you go. Understand, if he doesn't come first, he doesn't come at all. If he isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. Lordship means ownership. You say, well, no one owns me. Um, well, let's think about that just for a second. Any of you ever bought a car? Can I see your hand? You ever bought a car? You ever bought a car? Okay, okay. Could I say, step in your car, say, may I have your keys? Give me your keys. Could I call myself the owner of your car right then? I have your keys. I'm sitting in the driver's seat. Could I call myself the owner? You could say, you could call yourself beat up, like that's what you could call yourself, a person about to get jumped, that's what you call yourself, but you could not call yourself the owner. Why? Because the owner is someone who's the purchaser, correct? You say, well, nobody owns me. Well, a person that bought you owns you. You say, well, I need to see a scripture for that. I'm so glad you asked. Take your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 19. Amen. The Bible's so good. Did you know this stuff was in here? I didn't. Here we go. Let's go. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have of God, and you are not your own? You say, this is my body. You see it a protest. Get your laws off my body. You ever seen that? Okay, don't wear a seatbelt then either. If you believe that, then, then you're against seatbelts too. So, so sometimes our thinking is off, or we don't want certain laws. We just want, anyway, I got to stop. I got to stop. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You say, what was that price? It was the price of Jesus on the cross. And I'm sorry, no one of us could ever be good enough, could ever be rich enough, wise enough, smart enough to ever cover for our sin. And there was a man in the Bible who tried. Do you remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What an arrogant question. What must I do? And Jesus said, have you kept the commandments? And what did he say? I've kept them all from my youth up. Liar. Liar. You just broke one of the commandments. No one can keep the commandments. You can't do it. But then, what did Jesus say to him? Go and sell all you have and feed the poor. And he said, this is a very hard saying. Who can do it? And that's the point. You and I cannot earn salvation. Nobody can. That's what makes salvation, God's free gift, so valuable. That's what makes it so desirable. Is the fact that no one of you and not your good works or your good looks could ever earn your way to salvation. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. And that's why God sent his son Jesus, the priceless, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, to die for your sins. 
And you say, how do I receive that precious gift? And understand this, the confession of Jesus being Lord, that'll secure your salvation. The moment you confess Jesus as your Lord, the supreme authority, meaning no other person has authority over me, meaning I follow that supreme authority. I follow him. Understand, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, that's the confession. It'll secure your salvation. But you've got to start there. You've got to start with that first confession. There's a second confession. The confession of being Lord simplifies service. It simplifies what we do and what we don't do. Now I do whatever the Lord wants me to do. I only do as he wants me to do. So that means I parent how he wants me to parent. That means I live in my marriage how he wants me to live. It simplifies things. He gives me the power and the strength to do so. It's him living in me and through me. He's the one that's able to do it. But then also the confession of Jesus being Lord subdues Satan. You say, what do you mean? Revelation says we overcame him by the word of our testimony. Our testimony. You see, many of you, you say, well, I'm not afraid of the devil. Well, the devil should actually be afraid of you. He should be. But for many of us, we don't know God's word well enough. We don't know how to get on our knees long enough. And we don't know how to understand where we need to be under good preaching and just understand, hey, take some time in that word. Just keep working that word. Just keep giving me that word. Let's go to this passage. Let's go to this passage. And let's spend some time. Why did we relegate preaching that it needs to be exactly 27 and a half minutes? I'll tell you the stereotypical church service. It's like upbeat worship song one. Guest host comes out. Says a little cute comedic joke, comes out there, has a little tattoo to show you he's got a past. And then we have another song come out. This one, a little bit more upbeat, but towards the end, kind of bring it down a little bit softer. Then the last one, prepare hearts for the offering, really soft. Then we give the offering, then we give a message. But in the message, he's got a really trendy, really edgy, relevant cultural uh, message tied around something that's happened in pop culture. And so what we're producing now in the church is moralistic agnostics. That's all we are now. We're very moral people. Much like the Mormons. Much like, I'm going to say it, even Islamists, Muslims. Very moral. Very good people. Much like every other religion in the world. Except for they don't understand the power in Jesus' name. They don't understand who he is. So we've got to get back to the fact that he is the Lord. Why? Because he is the buyer. He's the buyer. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary, he went to the Aka Indians and was a martyr. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot earn to gain what he can never lose. And yet you and I were so afraid of losing what we have. We're so afraid of just holding on to this world. I've got people who are like, I won't come to church. Uh, uh, I won't do this. And I'm like, uh, do you go out to eat restaurants right now? Yeah. Do you go shop at Macy's right now? Yeah. But you won't come to church? Hmm. Thank you. You say, Pastor, you need to be nicer. No, I'm just seeing that our world, what it's coming to, and we quote unquote are a Christian nation, but you quote unquote have Christians that are joining in rallies that are tearing down and creating anarchy and burning buildings. You're telling me that reflects Jesus? It does not. You're saying uh, across the board, you're seeing pastors that are cowering to this kind of stuff. And I'm saying, wait a minute, we submit to the lordship of Jesus because if we would rightly submit to the lordship of Jesus, that would take care of a lot of our issues. That would take care of a lot of our problems. If we just said, Jesus is my authority, this would just take care of it. But instead, we're running around and we're focused on what culture is accepting. Understand that Christians, thirdly, have an owner. 
Verse 9 of Philippians 2, Therefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth. But then he goes on in Matthew and he says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or he will love the other. Would you write this down? You can't be loyal to two lords. You can't be loyal to two lords. You've got to pick. You've got to choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You've got to make a decision. We are in the valley of decision. We are in that moment. This is a crisis moment. As you look at our country, you need to understand that we are in a pivotal place, and yet they've shut down any place that they could that would offer any free thought that would be contradictory to what the cultural narrative is. And instead, you're seeing, oh, this is on the spike, and this is on the rise. And yeah, things are on the rise. You say, oh, Texas is overwhelmed. Okay, let's, let's not look at the news. Can we just go to their health department? Their health department, a city of over 4 million people. You say, how many people there have COVID? How many? 4,000 people out of a city of 4 million. Oh, huge spike. Well, is that out of 4 million people? I, I, that, can we just look at the stats? But what has happened is Christians are now like, hide the women, hide the kids, locks up, bubble wrap, air filters, purifiers, and we've lost our minds. And I understand being safe. I understand wearing a mask, wash your hands. Come on, do that. Yeah, of course. But yet to shut down every church, you say, how many churches are open in the Bay Area? 8.2 million people, the Bay Area, okay? I know of six churches that are open. Pastor Missiles, in-laws, church is open. Our church is open. Calvary Chapel is open. Liberty Baptist on the east side is open. Uh, North Valley Baptist is open. And there's another church in Redwood, Redwood Baptist Church. They're open. Those are it. That's all I know. That's it. I know of a church opening next week. But what does that say about the church? What are we doing? Is this real or is this just a game? Is it real or is it just a game? Are we, or, or we just want preaching that says, hey, it's all about convenience and safety. When was ever the gospel about convenience and safety? It never was. It was never about, is this easy? It's never about, does this fit you? It's never been about that. And I'm sorry, for years, if you went to this church, guess what? You got that message, and I'm repenting of it. You shouldn't have gotten that message. I should have instead taken the word of God and not said, hey, look, put burdens on you, but said, look, here's God's word. Here's what it says. And you say, well, it's too hard to live. It's too difficult. Jesus gives us the power to live it. You know, there are sins that your pastor struggles with. You know some of the dark sins that I struggle with. I've been open about it. But here's what happens. When I submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, he gives me a grace to overcome those sins. So when I'm tempted and when I'm struggling, that's where you fall to your knees and you stay in that place and say, oh God, I'm about to do something because I'm broken, sinful flesh. And unless you come in and help me now with this, I'm gonna do something I'm gonna regret and I'm gonna do something I don't wanna do. And it's at that hour, that's when Jesus comes. When I submit to him, he gives his help. He helps his children. But yet you and I are trying to be loyal to two different lords. But notice this. Let's go to take our Bibles to Luke chapter number nine. You see, if God is the owner, he should be obeyed. If he's a savior, he should be served. If he's your father, you should be, he should follow. As his purchaser for our sins, he should be praised. And as the Lord, he should be lived for. So in Luke chapter number nine, notice this. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily 
and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes into his own glory. That should level every single Christian. What he is saying, if you are not ready to take up your cross and follow him, he says, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. I want to hear at the last when I stand before God, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear, I'm ashamed. You were given in that hour, in that moment, and what did you do with it? You cowered, you shut down, you withdrawn. And in a day and age where we needed more truth, more light, but yet we have more darkness. We have nobody pointing to what is right. We have nobody calling for true repentance. Nobody calling for revival. Nobody calling for God to move. Nobody getting on their knees begging God, if you don't move in this hour, where will our country be? This is a pivotal moment. You see campaign slogans where they're saying, we're fighting for the soul of our country. No, no, that's the church's job. That's the pastor's job. That's the Christian job, to fight for the soul. It's Jesus' job to fight for the soul because he bled for that soul. So as Christians, where's our fight? Instead of Christians fighting right now, you know what they're doing? They're fleeing. They're running. They're saying, let's close up, close up. So there's a bunch of churches right now. They're remodeling their auditoriums. I'm saying, why spend the money? Why invest in the building? So you can have a beautiful mausoleum that just to what? It doesn't matter the building. Understand the first church never had a building. First church on their first Sunday had 3,000 people saved and baptized. You say, where was their mega church? They never had one. They met in the temple courts. You don't need a building. But you should still gather. You should still go out because the ecclesia, the church, is a called out assembly. That's what we're there to do. But yet we have false teachers and false preachers who are just getting out there and trying to tell you what you want to hear. Instead of saying, take up your cross. What was a cross? A cross was a symbol of suffering. The cross was a symbol of shame. The cross was a symbol of death. When you took up that cross, you were saying, I know where this could go. Today, if you were born and raised in the Middle East, and you say, I renounce Islam, and I follow Jesus, there's a very good chance that'll cost you your life. It's very common for they to practice mercy killings. Raise your hand. You ever heard of a mercy killing? You know what a mercy killing is? If somebody converts in your household, you as the mom or the dad to save their soul from eternal damnation are to kill them. So you've got parents right now in the Middle East who will poison their family members that have turned to Christianity and they will die right there at the dinner table. You say, Pastor, you're just making this up. This is just too much. Come on. No, this is what they know. This is the decision that they know that they're making when they choose Jesus. But yet the decision that you and I make is how good was that band at that church? Should we go back? I don't know. I think this other church is a better band. Let's go there. You laugh. But that's a lot of churches. You go to church for their band. And a good band will make up for a bad pastor. (laughs) You laugh. It's true. Some of y'all been to that church. That's why. No, I'm not going to say it. That's why. I'm going to say it. I won't. I won't. I was going to go there. Filter caught it. Understand that today we live in a day and age where people say their children's ministry is amazing. My kids had so much fun. What verse did you learn? No, but they had a jump house. And they had a slide and a ball pit. And their children's pastor was so cool. 
I mean, he was just so immature and he was just so fun. My kids just related to him. What is it producing? A wise pastor said, it's important for the pastor to ask, what type of people is my preaching producing? We can see the seeker-sensitive movement. It began in the 60s. Where has it taken us? Do we have more missionaries changing the world? We're spending more on a missionary nowadays. Before the missionary ever gets to the foreign field, you'll have invested $250,000 to get him there. A quarter of a million dollars just to get him there. He hasn't started language school, hasn't won a single convert, but yet that's on average what it'll take to get a missionary to the foreign field. You say, really? I think that's a little bit much. We started this church on our American Express card that we maxed out for $12,000. And we didn't set a dollar amount. We set a deadline and said, by grace of God, we'll plant this church. We'll see who shows up. And thankfully, we had a few people who showed up. And thankfully, God's kept us around. And thankfully, he's had mercy. Because it certainly wasn't my preaching keeping it open. And it certainly wasn't my worship leading. Yes, I was the worship leader. Some of you remember. Some of you will get crowns in heaven for having to endure that. Some of you know what a trial of tribulation really is. So understand that when it comes to God's word and his house and his preaching, sometimes we felt like, well, we got to have this and we need this. No, no. What we need is that old-fashioned preaching of the word of God. We need it convicting. We need it hot. We need it in our hearts. We need it more now than ever. And we need it to confront the error of our ways. We need God's word to speak to us. We need to be told to take up our cross and follow him. This is what we need to be told to do. But yet, when's the last time you turned on an evangelist or somebody online where they said take up your cross and talked about the lordship of salvation that Jesus Christ is your supreme authority I couldn't tell you the last time and I love listening to preaching and I love the church and I understand that as I listen to message after message after message I'm not hearing about it anymore we've dropped some things from preaching because honestly we've lived in the church for expediency we will cut corners theologically why to draw a bigger crowd what did Jesus do with the bigger crowd He tried to shrink it down. He was always trying to say things that would freak them out. And he would say things like this, unless you drink my blood and eat my meat, you're not worthy of me. You say, he did not say that. He was not a cannibalistic vampire. Yes, he was. No, I'm just kidding. What was he talking about? He was talking about community. He was saying, hey, if you're not willing to identify with me, we have Christians In parts of Eastern Europe, they know it'll cost them their life. We have people in parts of China that know it'll cost them their life. We have people in parts of South America that they know, when I choose Jesus, it will cost me everything. But yet we here in America, we have everything. Nice house, good clothes, a car or two or three in the garage. And here we step back and we think, are we really better off? Are we really doing more for the kingdom? Are we really seeing more of an impact? But I'm hearing more and more of people right now that are saying, Pastor, you really just need to make it a little bit easier. Do we we really need to hear this? Maybe not. Maybe you don't. I just believe we're standing at an hour where God is soon going to return. And I believe he is giving grace and mercy for one last time for the church the church in America to wake up. We're not in the the end times. You don't see America in the book of Revelation. You don't see it. Why? My hope is not that God blasts us from the world. My hope is that we see one last great revival.
And that we have preachers that come back to God's word and call a nation back to repentance. As I read in Acts chapter number 8 and 9 how there was the amazing conversion of Saul who was a murderer, who was one who would go and seek out Christians and persecute them, but then he's gloriously saved on the road to Damascus and he sees Jesus, that bright light, and he repents. And then the three days later after, uh, he, Ananias, or after uh, he gets his sight back, then he goes and preaches in the temple. Three days later, here was a guy who was putting Christians in prison and then three days later, he's now defending Christ. That's what I believe can happen. I believe when we see Christians once again preaching and teaching, taking up their cross, that that can happen. But understand, many of us, here's where we stand. We receive Jesus. Well, let me just write it and say it like this. You cannot receive what Jesus gives and refuse who Jesus is. Let me say it again. You cannot receive what Jesus gives and refuse who Jesus is. Because many people want his benefits, want his blessing, but never want the burden. We just want it easy. And I'm right there with you. I want it easy. Uh, I told you last week I was feeling a little bit doughy and I needed to work out. Well, my wife gave me an exercise app this week. God bless her. (laughs) And in that app, it's not a very fun workout. Although, I did lose a couple pounds this week. That's because you just don't eat. If you don't eat, it's amazing how you just, you you can lose a little bit of weight. I don't want to work out. I don't want to do anything hard. Nobody does. I like comfort. I like it easy. I like it convenient. But that's not what we're called to. That's not, that's not me. That's not your pastor. I don't know if any of you read the Old Testament or if you know what first or second Chronicles chapter 18 is, or you can go to second Kings chapter 17. It's one simple passage, and it's the story of a prophet. I'm named after that prophet. That's where my name comes from. This prophet was a prophet that even though all the other prophets prophesied exactly what the king wanted to hear, there was a prophet who said, I can't do that. As the Lord lives, that shall I speak. That was his declaration. The prophet's name was Micaiah. He said, I'm going to go against popular opinion. I'm going to say what I want, what I believe God wants me to say. He said it. And then the king Ahab put him in prison and you never hear from him again. That's it. That's it. It was just a simple, simple one-time thing. But that's my personality. I believe we're kind of named after people and we kind of take on their characteristics. I'm not looking to be popular. I'm not looking to build the biggest church. What I'm looking now is to make sure that whatever time I have left, whoever sat under the word of God, they understood that they got the whole counsel of God. They understood whether they liked it or didn't like it, whether they hated it, whether they thought I was vile and repulsive. That's totally fine. I'm living for the audience of one. I'm not living for the applause of man. And we need to get back to that as every single Christian. Every single one who says, I follow Jesus, needs to get back to the point where we say, I do this for God. My life reflects him. So if it means taking up my cross and following him, I do it. You see, the Bible commands us to this life. Mark 8, 36, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
When I read scriptures like that, it convicts me to my very soul. And I believe it should convict every single one of us. That are we ashamed of God? You say, what do you mean shame? That means we blush. We're embarrassed. We feel, ugh. So if somebody were to tell you, hey, at our church, we believe marriage is between one man and one woman. That's what we believe based on the word of God. Some of you, and this is not to be mean, you would have a hard time telling certain people that. You'd be like, oh, I don't want them to think that I'm like a bigot. I don't want them to think like I'm homophobic. But isn't that amazing that we feel that way? What is that? That's shame. We're ashamed of something that God's word teaches. And if it doesn't teach it, then let's find it out and let's find out what, is the, what does the word of God say? If the word of God doesn't teach it, then let's not follow it. But if that's what the word of God talks about, that he created male and female, he created them, that if he said, hey, uh, uh, when it comes to the, the marriage relationship, when he talks about it, but yet for you and I, we say, well, I'm not ashamed. That's shame. You say, well, what do we do with all this? We need to understand something. That when it comes to God, when it comes to what he's calling us, he's calling us to a life of surrender, not just salvation. And many of you think, well, I'm saved, so I'm going to heaven. That's good enough. The great preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who at the age of 18 was asked to pastor the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which was a church of 2,000 at this time, had this quote. He said this in relation to people that think that way. If the convert declares that he knows the Lord's will but doesn't mean to attend to it, your duty is to assume that he is not saved. Meaning, let me, let me paraphrase it for a second. If someone receives salvation but their lifestyle never reflects a change you can assume that person is not a child of God. But where is that preaching or teaching in the church? We're all about, oh, everybody loves God. Joel Osteen, 99.9% of you is good. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There's not 99.9% good in Micaiah. No, my heart's wicked. I'm so glad that you can't see on these prompters what goes on in my mind. You would find another bus to another church, I assure you. Why? Because man's heart is wicked. We are sinful. We are jealous. We are prideful. We are lustful. We've got all these things inside of us. And so we need to have a life that says, look, by the character of my life, I could be, I could be counted as a Christian. You see, a Christianity that costs nothing counts for nothing. If your Christian faith came really easy, and you think, man, this is so easy, you're probably not doing this Christian life right. You're probably not. So what does Isaiah the prophet say? Isaiah 55 verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's what America needs. That's what Southridge Church needs. That's what you and I need. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, the supreme authority. Oh, I know it's hard to hear a message like this, but maybe it might make more sense. Any of you grew up in a church you used to sing the old song, I Surrender All? I see your hand. Remember that song? Played at the invitation. It was written by a man by the name of Judson Vanderdeen in 1896. For five years, he battled the call to ministry. And finally, he was writing in a journal, and he wrote these words. I surrender all, 
All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. I surrender all. Many a Christian has given their life to Christ to the words of those songs. Many a man and a woman has come to an altar and knelt down and repented of their ways and turned to God under that song. Many a boy and a girl has wept tears as that song was sung and they came to God saying, salvation is not just salvation, it's also surrender. It's also waving the white flag over rights to my life and surrendering it to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's once again saying, Jesus, it's all about you. It's all for you, and I'm giving you my all. Are you saved this morning? Are you surrendered? If not, will you pray at an altar this morning? Will you give your all to God? You know, many times I've said it, you've heard a pastor say it, you can't outgive God. And every time you heard the phrase, it was right before an offering, and it maybe before a building campaign. Can I say the statement is true? You can't outgive God. When you give God all of you, what do you think he gives you in return? All of him. And that's what we need. All of Jesus. I surrender all. Wouldn't this hour does the church need to boldly declare? Not social justice, but I surrender all. And we have every person in America come to the knees and bow at the lordship of Jesus. What we need now more than a political rally is, Lord, I need you and I surrender all. What we need now more than protests and riots and more than we need anything else to be sheltered in place and wear masks, we need to say, I surrender all. Because we live in a country that does not say I surrender all. We live in a world that says it's all about me and it's all about what I want. And we need to once again kneel at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I am truly sorry for being rebellious. I'm truly sorry of repenting and repent. There's a story many years ago that I heard. I've read in a book. We used to pick up churches, would run buses and pick up the poor and those who couldn't afford to go to church or their parents weren't able to take them. And so they go to the poor neighborhoods and pick up the boys and girls who wanted to come to church. And there was one such story where the pastor was talking about giving your all to Jesus, all to him, I freely give. Give your all to Jesus, whatever you have. And the little boy was sitting there, and he started to look to his friends on the right and his friends to the left. And he was looking at what he had to give because he saw the ushers. They were coming down, and they had an offering plate. And he wanted to give something to Jesus. He wanted to give anything he could to Jesus. So he reached in his pockets, and he saw there's nothing in his pockets. He was poor with his raggedy clothes and his dirty hands, and he couldn't find anything to give to Jesus. He looked to his friends on his right and his left and said, you got anything I can give to Jesus? i got to give something to Jesus. And then the, the usher came by, and he whispered to the usher, and he said, can you lower the offering basket, please? So the usher kind of lowered it a little bit. And the boy sheepishly said, sir, can you lower it some more? So he lowered it some more. He said, sir, can you, can you lower it just a little bit more? So the usher didn't know what was going on, so he set it on the ground. 
little boy said, I got nothing to give Jesus. So he stepped in the altar and the offering plate. He said, I just give him me. I give him all of me and I get all of him. And that's all that Jesus is asking for this morning. That you would step onto that altar and say, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. All to Jesus, my blessed Savior. Is he your blessed Savior? When you hear the name of Jesus, does it call you to weep under the power of that name? Does it break you at your heart and soul? Because what we have is a hard heart. I read in Isaiah that he would give us a soft heart, a new heart, a heart of flesh and not of stone. That we once again would say, God, I need a soft heart. God, I need you to break my heart. And Joel, the prophet Joel said, and rend your heart, not your garments. You see, in that day and age, when you, were, when you were upset, you would rip your clothes to show I'm heartbroken. But what Israel had gotten in the pattern of doing is only ripping their heart and never tr- ripping their garments and never truly having a ripped open heart. And so God is calling his church to once again have her heart ripped open. I'm not mad at the Supreme Court. I'm not mad at protesters. I'm not mad at anarchists. I'm broken hearted over the sin of a nation. I'm broken hearted over the lies. I'm broken hearted over the deceit. I'm broken hearted over what is happening. And the only thing that I can do is to open God's word and fall to my knees and say, God, have mercy on your country. I don't know how much longer we have. I believe Jesus is soon coming. And I don't know how much longer we as a church will get together like this. So for my last moments, my last days, however much time God gives me, we're going to preach. And we're going to ask God to save souls. And we're going to preach his word. We're going to preach it on every street, every highway. We're going to compel them to come in. We're going to say, hey, we're doing everything we can. We got air purifiers. We got masks. But you need to hear God's word. You need to be under the foot of preaching. You need to have an opportunity to come to an old-fashioned altar. We can kneel down in your seat in your chairs. And once again ask God, rend my heart. Break my heart, God. Break it open for this nation. What's going to save our country? What's going to save our country is not we dump more money into the economy. What's going to save our country is not if your candidate gets elected. It's not going to save it. It's not, not, not new laws. That's never worked. It's never worked throughout time. The only thing that can save us is Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only way. He always has been. He always will be. And we've got to come back to Jesus. Not just a simple sweet Jesus, but we've got to come back to Jesus Christ, the Lord. He's the supreme authority. He's the anointed supreme authority. That's who we serve. That's who I serve. That's who it is. That's what it's all about. That we have a church. In the landscape of churches, we've glorified ourselves as the hero of the story. When you read 1 Samuel 18 about David slaying Goliath, excuse me, 1 Samuel 17, when you read that, you are not David. And I know you've heard a message about go and slay your giants. You're not David. Jesus is. He's the hero of the story. It's always been about him. You say, but, but David was immoral. David was bad. Yes, God never lets any of his heroes in scripture go unclean. All of them are, have dirty hands. All of them. Why? Because we don't look to David. We look to a better David. His name is Jesus. 
You say, well, well, what about the other, other Abraham? Look at him. He was supposed to be a leader. Yes, and he fell too. Why? We look to a better Abraham. His name is Jesus. We look to a better Isaac. His name is Jesus. We look to a better king. His name is Jesus. That's who we look to. That's why salvation is so sweet. That's why it's the sinner's hell. That's why we need to come back to Jesus. That's why it's always has been. And we need to surrender at that name and say, I kneel to the foot at the cross of Jesus and say, Jesus, I surrender all to you. I hold nothing back, but it's my all to you and how good you've been. You've shed your blood for me, so I will give you my all. I will surrender all. All of me gets all of you, and that's all that God ever wanted, and that's what'll change us. That's what'll change our homes. That's what'll change our marriages. That's what'll change our families. That's what could change this world, is if you not just sing a song, but you declare it in your heart that I surrender all. And church, even even if we do see our families revived and our marriages revived and our hearts revived, but let's just say God doesn't revive our country. It won't be a loss. Hear me now. Even if God doesn't come in and and sweep this nation with revival where the churches are wide open and you see every tongue and every tribe flooding into the church, kneeling at the altar, and and I dream for that and I envision that, even if it doesn't, what if just your heart gets revived? What if it was just about you? What if it was just about you once again no longer playing games? What if it was just about you saying, yeah, I'm a sinner and I've been a real jerk and I need to come before God and humble myself? Then there was heaven sent revival. That, that will have been worth it. If there's just 70 or 80 people that truly love God, God always has a remnant. There's always been. And that is what God is trying to do. He doesn't say by many or by few. God's hand is not short. He could do whatever he wants, church. But our responsibility is say, God, I surrender to you. Amen. What a great opportunity we have. Scripture says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain help in the time of mercy, time of need. And he's always there. He's the ever-present help as we come to him. And I'm so thankful that we can gather. I'm so thankful that we can sit under God's word and allow him to do the work that only he can do. So many times I... You struggle. So you buy books. You go to conferences. And sometimes you just got to get to that place where God can just start to get into our heart and peel back the layers and let him open us up. And church, don't be discouraged. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me? Believe also in me that I, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, There you will be also. He's coming again to receive us. In this world, you shall have tribulation. What is tribulation? It means struggles. We live in a world of struggle. Many of you are struggling. But yet God offers the only hope, the only help is in Jesus. And it's time that we combat the crisis of modern-day Christianity. And just submit to his lordship. And understand it's okay. I love services like this. I love it. You say, well, this and this. I love it. This is just church. 
What do you think Acts was like? They were fighting over who got bread in Acts 6. Somebody didn't get bread, so they murmured and complained. I'm not nervous or worried about some of his noisy. My kid's over here watching YouTube. Come on. It's like, you know, can't even get his own family together, you know. I'm just so thankful that we could just gather together. Thank you, church, for being here. I believe God is up to something. I think it's going to be a great thing. Well, if you are our first-time guest, God bless you. Thank you for being part of Southridge. Uh, if you'd like to fill out a connection card, we'd love to stay connected with you. You could drop it in one of the wooden baskets on your way out. Please, on your way out, stop by. Uh, and uh, there's, the, there's a place where you can get free fabric masks. If you need some extra fabric masks They're in the green bags on the way out, please stop and get some. Also, there is the table with the bread. Please help yourself. Don't think, well, no, I, I'll leave that for somebody else. No, no, we don't want to take it back. So grab whatever you want. First come, first serve. If you take it all, you take it all, and you open up a bread shop, we're fine with that. We don't care. Uh, but God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful day. Next week, I've got a special message. You're seeing our history erased right now of the church and our country. And next week, it'll be 4th of July. I think God's going to speak to us. And I, I hope to invite you back next week. God bless you. There'll be two services, 9 a.m. and 10.45. Not 10.30, 10.45. But for those of you who normally come at 10.45, show up at 10.30. All right? And uh, then you'll be right on time. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. You're dismissed. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.